This is Derek's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. After the third time jump-starting my car, I finally realized my battery was dying. So I stopped by O'Reilly to have it checked. They tested it right there in the parking lot. It was bad, real bad. But they helped me find the right battery for my car and even installed it for free. Now my car starts like new. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey y'all, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. This is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul, and you're listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer, along with my lovely bride, Sherry, and for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. In our last segment, Sherry, we were talking about ambiguity in relationships, but specifically dating. Mm -hmm. And then we made the correlation by explaining that this is in every relationship we have, not just in dating. It's in relationships at work. It's in relationships with supervisors, direct reports. It's just the ambiguity that exists. And I will argue um, that one of the reasons we struggle so much is because we're conflict avoidant. We're not confident. In, in just talking to people about ideas and putting ourselves on the line. So uh, we, we were referring to a Dr. Um, Stanley from the University of Colorado who talked about three types of people. Yeah, and you get a lot of people come into your office who are frustrated with relationships and find themselves in the same situations. And Dr. Stanley described three main types of people in the relationship field. There's the seekers, who are actively looking to find a partner or someone that they can have a balanced commitment with. Yeah, so this doesn't mean that you're looking for, uh, it, it could be in dating, but it could be just you want someone at work that you can land with and just have commonality. Right. Remember, we're really hardwired to, to have friends. So we, we want friends. And some people come in my office just because they're lonely. Yeah. Then there's the delayers and those who are determined to not get tied down and I, to I any always... one person or relationship. And those people even work, you know, are at work too, because they're the relationship adverse. Like right. I'm not going to get involved. I am intentionally not going to get involved because maybe they feel like they've been burned. One. And some people will argue, well, I'm an introvert. That's just not who I am. Well, that's <laughs> not exactly true. Introverts still want to connect. Yeah. They just don't want to connect with the masses because they believe masses are asses. But if they... <laughs> you just like saying that. I do. It's really As my econ professor. <laughs> so the idea is that they, they don't energize with a lot of people. But even introverts want to connect. So that, that's not a good argument. No. And then the third party... It are the wanderers. Or those who just are in and out of dating scene without giving much thought to what they really want. And I question if those people know who they are mm. and know how to find their best self. Because I, I think that's what's keeping them in the wandering phrase. And these are the ones who tend to find themselves bumping into frustrations. Because those that are relationship adverse are 
kind of buying into the hermit idea and maybe they're just grumpy and scrooge like anyways and they're or they're trying to be cool you know like yeah. everyone else anyways. yeah i just don't need that yeah well the reality is you do statistics all support that having a connection in a marriage and in a in an organization extends life it makes you happier reduce chronic illness better sleep etc so i wrote some notes here as i'm thinking about this and i realized my argument again i'm not taking away the the media the social media i'm not taking that away. as an Smart effect phones. of causing some of this confusion but i really don't think it's the primary cause i think it's a contributing factor i believe one of the primary causes is they have a lack of clear identity. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they want. They don't even know how to get it if they did. But two, they've never been taught deliberate practice. They don't understand the role of grit. Well, we don't think about practicing something to go have friends or to date. We just think it's supposed to happen. How do you think I got through your family? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> The idea is that if you don't know how to deliberately practice being happy, you aren't. If you don't pr deliberately practice effective communication skills, you don't. And so the idea that we're having, and when I talk to the, these youth coming in, I get to speak to them in large groups as well. And I'm always asked to speak on dating. Why? Because they're scared to death to do it. They, they want to connect. And yet when I listen to them and I observe them in a large group, it's, it's not a head scratcher to see why they're, they're all struggling because they don't have the social skills to move forward because they don't believe anything positively about themselves. That doesn't exist. That ability to feel worth, that ability to develop trust and respect in relationships, the ability to recognize that I own my happiness, joy, and well-being, it's foreign to them. Yeah. They've not experienced it. So Dr. Stanley said that kind of at this root of this ambiguous relationship dilemma that's happening in society is because people are hoping to avoid pain. So the inability to make commitments or move upon a commitment is out of this avoidance of pain. And I would even argue it's fear. And, and that's what you're kind of addressing is fear. What could we do to address that fear of pain, that avoidance of pain or that sense of ambiguity because they don't know who they are. So let's define, I want to go back to both fear and anxiety. So anxiety first. Anxiety is a prediction error of tomorrow. There's no today in anxiety, but it's based upon stress, which means yesterday's experiences were painful. So what they're fearing is that they fear what will happen yesterday will happen tomorrow and then they project into tomorrow and that's called prediction error. We don't, have you ever heard someone say, yeah, it's a very reactive person. Just be careful because they're very reactive. Our brains can't process in reaction time. It's not that fast. But what the brain does do is it predicts erroneously as to what's going to happen next. So the amygdala will move itself to fight or flight very quickly if it feels there's going to be pain coming down the road because the fight or flight automatically triggers electrochemicals in the body that create opioids. You, you get to medicate yourself when you go to fight or flight. So in our John Smith illustration in the last segment mm -hmm. where he started, well, he moved away from a, what appeared to be a very committed, healthy relationship. A growing relationship. Almost in a sabotaging effect. Well, what was he telling himself that wasn't true? Well, 
What do his parents look like? And I'm not looking for answers because I don't need to know. But if his parents didn't have a healthy relationship or those around him, then he's saying that I can't have one either, perhaps. And so his narrative is, yeah, this isn't going to work. So he will subconsciously move himself into a compromised position as a way to medicate the anxiety that it won't work for him. Right. Yeah, so anxiety does that for us. So what would be the anecdote to someone who's saying, okay, I've messed things up before, yeah, and I want to move forward in a more productive way in relationships? We talked about how you had, <laughs> even though you came from a family yeah. history of divorce and all these other things, you had an, a literally a written set of rules. I did. So what I decided was I was watching my roommate's date I was looking at my conglomeration of people that I was going out with, and I realized I wasn't getting the results I wanted. And so I had to figure out the system's broken. And I, I wasn't discounting the fact that I might be broken. That, that was certainly part of the, the equation. But I argued in my mind's eye that there's a system here that I clearly don't know, and I'm never going to learn it at home. I'll never see it in my family of origin. Did you feel that inside of oh, you? Yeah. Like there, you was, knew? there was hopelessness from that perspective that I would not find answers at home. And I wouldn't find answers in my peer group. So what I did is I called upon um, a thought process that I had. I've got to look at the end. This is coming from a Covey type thing. See the end before the beginning? And I said, all no, right. This all was all predated Covey, by the way. Right, but I didn't know that. Right. You know, I'm just, just gonna I'm giving you credit out. here. Well, thank you. I was really more lost than I was anything else. And you need to understand one of the reasons why I married you is because you showed your brilliance in this moment. That made me feel good. Just kind of get a little up for that. That's nice. So, because you need to know for years, I just will, when I'm having a bad day, I'll ask you, remember, hey, Sherry, tell me why you married me again. <laughs> having a bad day. I remember writing down, uh, I served a mission for my church in Switzerland, and I remember observing relationships that I thought, that's nice. I like that. And I would write down my observations. So you wrote these observations down when you were on your mission. Yeah. Which was... Years before me. Yeah, in 77 to 79. I okay. didn't meet you till 80, right? 81. 81. 81. So years before we met, I had this blue book that I wrote all my ideas down. Mm -hmm. And I had both rules of engagement and conditions of satisfaction. I didn't have those words back then. I just had a list of about 36 things on it. And in that, and what they mean is rules of engagement are behavior. So here was one of the behavior things that was really important to me. When I took a girl out, um, keep in mind that I was thinking that if I date a girl and I fall in love with a girl and I might marry a girl, that means we probably have children. And if we have children and I'm working, there's a high probability that she'll spend a lot of time raising my children. Those are just normal thoughts. And I thought, then I need to marry someone who will raise those children according to the value structures that I also hold dear. So there's got to be some commonality in that space. My rules of engagement are, does she have manners? Does she speak appropriately? One of the big deals to me was in those days when I would let the girl in the car, I'd open the door for her and unlock my side the door. Okay, we're really dating ourselves with these social norms of gentlemanly behavior. Yeah, more, yeah. I mean, we lived in a society where there was some structure, and I, I know that's gone for a lot of people, but we're speaking from that place. It doesn't have to be, but we're speaking from yeah. that place. It sounds so antiquated. I would open the door for you, for mm -hmm. example, and um, then I would wait for you to sit in. Then I'd close the door, 
And this is before the days of electronic locks. Yep, manual, everything. My door is still locked, and we're in Utah, and it's snowing outside, and it's cold. If I walked around and that door wasn't unlocked by you, it was our last date. <laughs> There's the test, the litma test right there. Will she unlock the right. door for me if I open the door now, for her? When I said this to people, I had some pretty funny looks, and they were going to go, wow, you're a jerk. Okay, I'm a jerk. <laughs> but I will tell you, if you didn't open that door, what's the message? What does the behavior message send to me about who you are? What's your identity? You will then teach that to my children. The other thing was how you dressed. So it wasn't just about reciprocating kindness for kindness. Not at all. You were seeing this as being a foundation to how I would raise our kids. How you dressed, how you react, how you talk to people, how you interfaced with my friends and my group of people. And remember all those games that we used to play? We yeah. play Who's for Me, Sir, and we Murder. We used to play parlor games. Can Don't you, you that? think that was so a test? Fashion. Everything about that was to determine your character, your personality, your behavior traits. And what I didn't know how to call it back then was your emotional intelligence. So it sounds pretty heavy with judgment. And it, I'm just going to play devil advocate with our situation. But it sounds like it's laced with this heavy judgment on a person's character. But is that appropriate? You're using judgment in a negative fashion. And I would argue it wasn't so much a judgment as it was a litmus to determine if we're compatible. So what you're saying is that this list, this these conditions of satisfaction gave you a filter to guide you so that you could make a commitment in the most happiness, happiest yeah. way. Okay, so here's my And goal. the most successful way, because you didn't want to repeat some of the things you saw happen in your own family. That was it. There was a, a, a direct line of fear to me that it would not work. So to me, everything I did was to determine, did I develop enough trust and respect in this date to merit another one? Okay, it, you were able to take fear out of the equation because you had a plan, because you were following that plan, whether it be, be you know, mm -hmm. testing the girls that you dated, how yeah, they testing responded. Testing does sound a bit judgmental. It all sounds weird, but... but Okay, stop for a second. Yeah. Did you know you, I was doing this? Uh -oh. Was it fun when we went out? Oh, we had a blast. But did I really unlock the door? Yeah. Okay. We wouldn't be here if you didn't. <laughs> the funny thing is, you, you I think don't I'm kidding? <laughs> I think I do remember sometimes. Did I do it the first time? No, you did it every time. Okay. We had bucket seats. I didn't I, have the I chance know, to let you in my side in hopes that you would sit next to me, which I now know you would never have sat next to me because we went on a date in my buddy's truck. And you didn't sit next to me. I, I did. That. I did later on. Later on. Later on, but not the first date. Not even close. No, no, no. My mom taught me well. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so going going back to the point being that I simply wanted to measure. Yeah. And, and Kate, I, I need to explain this. Every person that I meet, my goal is to have trust and respect with them, emotional intimacy. It, there's, it's irrelevant who they are. But I started that way back then, before I'd even met you. And then I realized that in order for me to have a successful relationship with you, if you were to be my wife, I had to be best friends based on trust and respect. So my list was all about being a best friend. The only thing not there was that she had to be a good kisser. And that was just more frivolous. And there was that one is, other thing. We won't need to go. Item number 17. 
Well, you have to remember this. I do remember item 17. Yeah. She didn't have any eye-hand coordination. That was kind of important. Too. And now we, we live in a world of growth mindset. Right. And you, but you are the best sport about it. You just need to know that when we play baseball or basketball or dodgeball, my family lines up just to watch you play. I know. I think yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I still have that video of us playing dodgeball. When I'm having a bad day, I just watch it. I do so, not know why it's so funny. What, what I did basically was every time we went on a date, Sherry, I simply said, do I trust her? Do I respect her? And keep in mind that this only works if you trust and respect yourself. Every rule that I had was really my rule and, for me. And you could trust and respect yourself because you had those rules. That's right. So setting up conditions of satisfactions and then rules based off those conditions to go and have experiences with other people gives you that foundation that you do feel sense, a sense of worth and that you can trust yourself. Okay, now let's go to John Smith. Let's say he yeah. had rules of engagement so John, and he had conditions of satisfaction. For listeners' sake, John Smith was this guy who had a, a relationship that was growing into commitment. He right. and this girl were saying, I love you. They had been dating for several months. And then he slipped online and kind of got caught into a snare with another girl. Who happened to be friends with well, girl number one. He didn't know that. He right. didn't know that and kind of was setting up to hook up and meet this other girl when he clearly was so excited about this other relationship, sabotaged himself because girl number two knew girl number one and he lost both girls. Yep. Yep. And so John Smith. Now, how didn't he, he was living in this world of ambiguity. Had he had rules of engagement, first of all, that means his behavior would have had to be in line with trust and respect, right? Mm -hmm. His conditions of satisfaction, which is the results, and this, these were my results. For, for example, my conditions of satisfaction was I had to be able to want to be better around you. I had, I had to be able to have deep conversations with you, and I had the topics set out. I wanted to be able to talk to you about politics, mm -hmm. religion. I did want to talk to you about sports, and you were willing to talk. It's just that your breadth of knowledge, that wasn't your forte. Other things were your forte, and that was fine with me because you would listen. And we would talk. Our first date was to a professional baseball game. Our first day? Our, our first, first year anniversary. anniversary yes. Yeah. Where you cussed me out. Remember that? <laughs> I did not cuss you out. <laughs> These warp stories. Okay. Warp. <laughs> They're so warp. So can I just share my experience of how you use your conditions of satisfaction? Because sure. I didn't be see the list until you were in like in the proposal moment and you well, whipped in that out very moment i took it out and showed yeah, it to you that you you whipped out this dog-eared frayed little blue right. vinyl but we ran over every one didn't we? notebook and and you you told me where you've come from with this and so that was really revelatory and i was going well i've had my mental list all along i did even and in you high denied school. that for years well it wasn't like a list list but i had yeah no, because I definitely you almost had, dumped me because of that list yes and because it had to do with politics. Right. Like that was an important factor for me. And so, um, you know, absolutely, I did have my plan. Okay, so you were going to tell me the story of how I've used the condition. No, it was just I remember you bringing out okay. the notebook and that, wow, that was impressive. Like, you had direction. I wanted, I wanted him. I wasn't looking for marriage at the time that we fell oh, into that. Oh, I remember that. Like, yeah. I still had other things on my plate, but... I definitely wanted somebody who had direction and knew themselves strongly enough to be able to guide themselves. That so, mattered to me. So Dr. Stanley does a, a couple of things here. He does offer some dating advice, 
But before we get to the dating advice, I want to throw in one thing. He wrote the following. Um, Both fear and a lack of skill in communicating clearly have become driving factors in creating ambiguous or not clearly defined relationships. Um, People often fail to communicate what they want or don't want from their relationships. Now, I have my notes written here. If you'll remember in the early days um, when we would go on dates, I found out everything about you, about your family. We talk about a wide array of things. I now know what that's called. I did not know what it was called back then. So initially when we started talking, I did a flippin' series of flippin' conversations with no, you. Let's remind ourselves what a yeah. flippin' is. So it's frequent, low risk, personal positive, but it's neutral. And I didn't understand neutrality back then like I do now. And I would argue I wasn't very neutral back in those early formative days because I didn't know about that. Um, but I was certainly interested and it was about you and it was positive. And I did it often. And then I moved it to a TRC level, a trust and respect conversation. Keep in mind, I didn't have those names back then. Right. But that's when I started finding about vertically what you felt, how you felt, what you believed, how you believed, what your family was like, what made you tick, what were things about Sherry that were interesting and that were passionate and things of that nature. When you start interviewing someone that way, the research shows that in eight to 10 minutes, you can develop a construct called swift trust. You can't do that texting. You can't do that in email. It's possible perhaps on a phone because you've got the intonation and inflection, et cetera. But the most effective way to build a relationship is face to face. You can actually feel the energy coming from the other person. You can look at them in their eyes. You can observe their body language. You can feel what they're saying and hear the intonation. When you get to that level, then you're able to measure an ROI, the return on investment coming back to you based upon the investment you gave to them to be neutral and to be safe. These are communication skills. We don't teach them in our schools. We don't teach them in our homes. As a matter of fact, how can their parents teach these these skills if the parents are divorced? Not there, always arguing or have an invisible divorce inside their house. Yeah, and I would argue there are some curriculum and things that are happening in school. But on the EI level, on the EI level, they do teach emotional intelligence in schools. Um, The school I teach at actually has a specialist that students are getting lessons every week in that set, but it has it doesn't go very far if it's not happening at home and. And we just see so much. I mean, the dis- what happens is school is a stabilizing factor mm-hmm. and home is the destabilizing factor in their lives, where it used to be the opposite, where home was the stabilizer. And then things would happen at school that could destabilize. Yeah, that's reversed. That it, it's totally upside down. We're, we're absolutely upside down. And it's not set right. It's not, There is not the right foundation set for most most youth these Let's go over so his suggestions. And then we meant to get to expectations today. So we're going to delay it. And we're going to get to it in the next show. His very first um, suggestion I want to take uh, exception with. So he says, take it slow. Don't go too fast. Keep your eyes open and be gathering information. Some people search too little. Some search too long. There are consequences for both. Take it slow. I just don't agree with that. I think you should take it smart. Mm. It's not a fast or a slow. I mean, it just depends on what you're doing. If you know what you're looking for, find it. 
it, it, I don't mean to make it sound callous, but literally when I would go on dates in those days, I was kicking tires. Why? I was simply finding out Hopefully based upon girls. your behavior, are you one safe space Two, can I develop a relationship based on trust and respect? The answer is really yes or no. If your behavior is such that I cannot do that, there's no sense for me investing more of my time because I have a finite amount of it. I would simply stop dating that person and then I would find someone. There's so many good, great people out there. It's now incumbent upon you to develop the ability to go and find the right person. And there isn't a right person. And by the way, you could have five really good friends at work. There isn't a right friend. It's the ability to develop trust and respect because everyone you run into wants to, once you understand that. So let's just do a couple more and then we're, we're really out of time. Yeah, so he also says look for valid signals and pay attention to red flags. And I would say if you have your plan, you have your conditions of satisfaction, if you know the rules that you're of engagement, right. that is your filter for does this fit? Is it a red flag or is it a signal that, yes, this person is going to be you know, somebody I can make a commitment with. And then be a realistic. Oh, one of the things he says is get premarital training, change the word to coaching, go get some emotional intelligence coaching. It doesn't matter where you are in your marriage and your relationships. Emotional intelligence is a lifelong endeavor. It will always benefit you. And one other really important part is finding someone who shares your beliefs and values. So right. knowing their core beliefs and values is important. Um, and, you can't and, know that if you don't ask them. And, you know, we came from some different backgrounds, but we did have same beliefs and values. Our families shared same beliefs and values, but the outcomes, yeah. the outcomes didn't look the same. Right. And so being more focused on that, I think, really speaks to the longevity of our marriage as well. I agree. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, all resources are within you. There's hope. There's hope. You learn these types of skill sets. You can take a 35-year-old marriage that isn't going well, and you can change it on end by you changing and developing some of those skills. So uh, we look forward to talking to you the next one. We are going to talk about expectations this time for sure. And we're going to actually invite a friend of ours, TJ Hoisington, to join us on this conversation. We're excited to have him here. So. Mommy, look at my boat. It's sailing. Introducing the Her Journey Around the World started in our overflowing bathroom sink policy from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com for homeowners' policy information. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.
En JCPenney sabemos que nos extrañas y nosotros te extrañamos aún más. ¿Pero qué pasa si te decimos que tenemos una tienda abierta todo el día, todos los días? ¡La tenemos! En jcp.com o en el app de JCPenney. ¿Quieres un traje de baño? ¡Lo tenemos! ¿Algo para estrenar este verano? ¡También! ¿Marcas exclusivas y tus marcas nacionales favoritas? ¡También! Visita nuestra página para los más recientes cupones y aprovecha envío estándar gratis en compras de $49 o más. JCPenney. Aplica en exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda o jcp.com. 